morning is taken from John chapter 15 and is on page 1022 in the Church Bibles. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learnt from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. Servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Those who hate me hate my father as well. If I had not done among them the words no one else did, then they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. 
But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Matthew's now going to um, bring us his reflections, and as he does, let me pray. Please join with me. Lord, I thank you for Matthew. I thank you for what you've put on his heart for us today to hear. May we have our ears open and our hearts willing to receive what you have for us through Matthew. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. We're enthusiastic this morning, aren't we? There we are. Um, so we're, at, um, we're doing a new series today, um, so I thought I'd take this opportunity to remind us of where we've been and why we've been there and where we're going and why we're going there. So we've just concluded an eight-week series um, that David concluded last week. You can listen again online, looking at the characteristics of Jesus in Mark's Gospel, and we're now in a series which I'll come on to say a little bit more about in a wee while. Um, but we're in this, um, we've done a series on the characteristics of Jesus and we're into the Lent series now because we're pressing into discipleship as a church. And throughout the course of this year, we're going to spend three terms really grappling with what it is to be followers of Jesus. So in this first term, we're following Jesus to become more like him. In the second term, which begins just after Easter, we're going to follow Jesus to change the world. Let's be ambitious as Christians and as a church. And in the final term of the year, uh, we're going to be following Jesus to love each other. And we're going to be wrestling with what it is to be a Christian community who nurture and support and reveal the love of God to each other. One of the things um, that I've taken great joy in over the last two years and that you can actually hear um, is the number of new babies and uh, toddlers in church. I even have one myself who's now, she does this every time I come to talk. Just immediately before dad comes up to speak, Izzy departs the room, um, which, which I'm taking personally now. Um, but there are so many new children in church and it's just a joy to behold. And one of the things that amazes me about pregnancy and it's always fascinated me since I began to talk to midwives about this, is, is the umbilical cord that connects mother to baby. And it fascinates me because, as far as I understand it, its role is to supply the baby with all oxygen and nutrients that the baby needs for its well-being. I've got former midwives smiling at me, so that, that must be right. Good. Okay. Later on in life, things change because we make choices. We have to make choices that affect our health and well-being. We, affect, we make choices about what food we put into our body. We make choices about whether we exercise. We make choices about whether we smoke, whether we drink in moderation or to excess. We make choices about um, areas in which we live and all sorts of things that affect our health and our well-being. But the baby in the womb doesn't make a choice 
to receive the oxygen and nutrients that they need to be healthy um, through choice. They, they, they receive that naturally. It's provided through the umbilical cord. And this morning we have the passage about the vine in John chapter 15, whereby the branches are healthy because of their connection to the vine. And because of the connection to the vine, they bear fruit. And like a baby in the womb, remains in the womb and so receives everything it needs to grow, the invitation of Jesus in John chapter 15 is to remain in Jesus, to remain in his love, to remain his friend, and to remain his choice, his appointment. And the thing about remaining on and in something is that it's often the path of least resistance. It's the, it's the remaining in something is, often requires little choice, little effort. So if you imagine yourself on a motorway with an exit road approaching, it requires less choice, less effort to remain on the motorway travelling in the same direction. If you're going to exit the motorway, you need to first of all decide to exit, you need to veer off to the left, you need to decide what your next set of directions are so you know which decisions to make when you see the signs or try to follow the sat-nav or a map. There's a lot of effort and choice that goes into those decisions. So remaining in something, remaining on a current pathway is often the path of least resistance. That doesn't always hold true, of course, because there are some situations in life where to remain would be destructive for us. And I recognise as I speak that some people may be in that situation where you need to affect a change in your life because you're not in a good place and so you want to take your life off in a different direction. We're told in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and verse 16 and then similarly again in 6.19 that our bodies are places where God dwells through his spirit, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's worth not just passing over that statement too quickly because within you, God has planted the fullness of his being. Right now, right here, you sitting there with whatever's going on in your lives, possess the fullness of God within you. You might not feel like it. This might be a grotty day for you or it might be a joyous day for you. But God has planted his spirit within you. God is present in your life. And the point of this new series, our Lent series for this year, is to recognise that our discipleship is far deeper than the tools we use to resource it. Let me just repeat that. Our discipleship is far deeper than the tools we use to resource it. By which I mean that... You cannot grow in your knowledge of God's character and his purpose and his calling on your life if you're not meditating on his word. If you want to hear the voice of God leading you gently, prompting you in the situations you feel in life, then you need to invest in your prayer life. If you want to be encouraged and strengthened and nurtured in your faith, you need to be part of the fellowship of the church. 
And if you want to put Jesus front and centre before anything else in your life, then you need to look at those spiritual disciplines that emphasise self-denial. So, so spiritual disciplines like tithing, spiritual disciplines like fasting, spiritual disciplines like serving others because we recognise that it's blessed to be that, that we are blessed when we're a blessing. These, if you like, are the tools and practices that resource our discipleship. But there are foundations to our following of Jesus that allow for us to grow our relationship with him that have little to do with any choice of our own, but everything to do with the action of God towards us. In other words, God doesn't send his Holy Spirit, love us, bring gifts of healing, allow us to encounter his presence, all of which are foundations of our discipleship because of choices that we make, but because of who God is. And that right there, friends, is the heart and motivation of this Lent series of talks, where together we'll discover what it is to share and abide in love what it is to be aware of Jesus in all we do, and especially on our front lines, what it is to be attentive to Jesus and to the people that Jesus has a particular concern for, the last, the least, and the lost. We'll discover what it is to know deep within our DNA that we are Jesus' followers, that we are his disciples, and that no choice or action of ours can affect the extent of God's love for us. Becky emphasised earlier in the service that there is nothing which is unforgivable to our loving Heavenly Father. But also another truth is that there is nothing that you can do which will either decrease or increase God's love for you. And if you find yourself when speakers hear that saying, but I want God's love for me to increase, I, I want more of his love, just remember that God's love for you is already perfect and complete. It can't get any bigger. That's why it can't increase. And finally, discovering the invitation of Jesus to come and see where Jesus is staying. This was a question asked by followers of John when Jesus had just been baptised. And the followers of John pursued Jesus and they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And Jesus looks at them and says, come and see for yourselves. And relationship with Jesus grew after that point. Throughout our passage in John 15 this morning, you'll find the word fruit. Um, and you saw grapes on our makeshift vine earlier on in the service. And fruit and fruitfulness are mentioned throughout this passage even in, the, uh, even in the second uh, verse, he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, and then so that it will be even more fruitful. And if we were to translate Greek into the English for fruit that we have, we would get to the word character very quickly. So the Greek for fruit is karpos, um, and in terms of its meaning, we actually can translate that as character. So when you see fruitfulness or bearing fruit mentioned, the invitation is to bear character, 
that reflects and reveals um, God, that reflects and reveals Jesus and who he is. So what is the type of character, the type of fruit that we're called to bear? Well, either on the screen behind me or in your Bibles, if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, famous passage of Scripture, and verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, against such character, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So the key question for us to grapple with this morning is how can the parts of our lives which are prejudiced, which are unloving, which are self-centered, be changed so that our lives bear the fruit, bear the character of Jesus? It's, it's a really Lenten theme, this question, because part of the spirit of the season of Lent is self-examination of looking deep into our lives and holding before God that which is broken so that we can invite before God his healing love and mercy to come and work in our lives. So what part of your lives, except in that some will be broken, what part of your lives need um, to change by the grace of God to better reflect Jesus. And John chapter 15 gives us the answer to the invitation. And the answer is to remain in Jesus, to, to remain in that relationship with Jesus, which is as close and as intimate as the relationship between a baby and her mother and between a branch and the vine. And we do this so that the overflow of Jesus' life and his character, his values, and the exercise of his kingdom becomes something that influences our lives in a natural and organic way. We do this so that God's values, Jesus' values, what he does, um, influence our lives in a way which is natural and almost requires no effort of our own to reveal. And you've experienced this kind of phenomenon in your lives. This is Pop Psychology 101. But when you're around someone who is struggling, you might find it hard to be joyful because you empathize with the person who's struggling and it has an effect on, on, on your behavior and your spirit that day. So too, it works the other way around. If you're having a really grumpy day, and you're whinging or whining, um, it's likely to have an effect on your family, and it's likely to have an effect on the colleagues who are closest to you and the people around you. And it's exactly that sense of being around someone whose behavior so positively impacts our lives that we cannot help but be changed and renewed into the image of Jesus Christ. 
I've been um, assaulted once in my ministry. I was um, out at a funeral visit on the council estate where I served for five years with Sarah. Um, Izzy wasn't part of our family then. Um, and I was doing a visit, and I was walking back through um, an alley which um, connected the streets. And um, I was walking alongside the church, and the church was here, and the vicarage was right next door. And as I walked down the side of the church, I, I just sensed in the back of my mind that a group of lads who had, I passed, one of them was coming towards me, and before I knew it, I'd been punched in the back of the head. Um, and the lad ran off, rejoined the group, and they all, all scarpered. The young lad, previously unknown to the police, was um, arrested and cautioned um, and released, and he had a youth offending team worker assigned to him to do some work with him. And one of the most positive experiences of, of that whole messy incident, which, you know, on one level, you would never choose to have that happen, but in a way that God can work consistently through mess... Um, I, I, I was um, at um, a kind of victims conference, I forget what they call it, but I came face to face with this lad and we had a conversation and I got to know him a bit through that conversation and he'd been on this slippery slope from just low level mischief to increasingly criminal activity. And one of the things that this youth offending team uh, worker was able to do was to separate him from this peer group who had tempted and taunted this lad to take ever more destructive actions, things that weren't healthy or helpful in his life, and to separate him from that peer group and to try and find some organisations or hobbies or activities um, that would help him live a more positive life. It's an obvious point but it's one that's too important to miss, that what and who we give positions of influence and prominence to in our lives will affect our character, what the Bible calls fruitfulness. It's such an important point, and I think I keep making it through talk after talk, but let me make it again. What we give, or who we give, positions of prominence or influence to in our lives will dramatically and significantly affect our behaviour, our fruitfulness for Christ. So the invitation of John chapter 15 is to let Jesus have such a place of prominence and influence in our lives that we cannot help but be shaped by his character. Now, the tendency in our times is to seek simple models by which we can put Jesus front and centre in our lives. If you don't believe me, go into a bookshop and you'll see that the self-help sections have expanded over the years. You'll find four ways to become more efficient in your work. You'll find ten ways to be a happier person. I have some of these books. They're quite disturbing. And we look for models, don't we? We look for models. If we want to get to why, we try and look for four or ten or three-step solutions. But the nature of the relationship which Jesus invites us into is different. In John chapter 15, from verse 9 onwards, we discover 
that the relationship within which we are called to bear godly character and to be fruitful is framed by both love and friendship. Is framed by both love and friendship. And then in verse 15, either in your Bibles or on the screen, we read these words. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. A servant was a domestic employee. He would have had specific tasks which formed the basis of what he was supposed to do uh, with his time. And we know in our own workplaces that we have specific expectations expected of our roles. They're often um, characterized by job descriptions or role descriptions that tell us that if you're going to be an employee here, these are the things we want you to do. And you will know that if, for whatever reason, you um, consistently chose not to do some of those things, that you'd probably face some kind of questioning by your employer as to why they weren't getting done. You'd find yourself in difficult waters uh, very quickly. And underpinning or framing that relationship is contract, you know, where you agree to do certain things, probably in expectation of, of a wage or remuneration or some kind of benefit back. But Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. The relationship is dramatically different. Friends don't compel, they engage. They engage in relationships where love and care and common interests form the basis of an enduring relationship. I should have realised this would happen, but in the week, some of you will know that every Wednesday morning I go up to the Vine and I take my weekly assembly and it was themed around friendship uh, this week and I invited two real-life friends from Year 6 um, up to join me at the front um, and I said to them, you know, what makes you friends? And in a very male way, they both put their heads down, stared at the floor and didn't give much back. So I made matters worse. I said, how did you meet? Well, that was a really bad question to ask these two young males. Um, and they said, well, we met at school. Um, and, and I said, well, how did you become friends? What, what interests do you share? And they said, well, we play football together. And on this went a bit, and we established that these were two really good friends. And so I had two stations set up, one on either side of the room. At one side of the assembly hall, I had a bowl of crisps. And I sent one lad off to eat the crisps, and I said, you can go and you can enjoy those crisps. And then I asked him as he was munching away, do you want to invite your friend to join you? And he very you know, generously said yes. And I said to the second friend, you know, do you want to join him? And unsurprisingly, he said yes and went across, and they were both tucking away into these crisps. And then I pulled the second lad away and said, I've got a task for you. And I took him over to the other side of the hall where I had a bin bag and a litter picker ready and an image on the screen of some dirty, smelly, filthy rubbish. And I said, here are your gloves, here's your bag, here's your litter picker. I want you to go and pick up all this rubbish that's just outside. You know, and he didn't look happy at all. But I went across to the remaining friend who was still over here tucking into the crisps. And I said, 
Do you want to join him in picking up this dirty, smelly rubbish? Or do you want to stay here and continue tucking into these crisps? And he paused. And he looked at the picture of the rubbish on the screen. And his eyes darted back and forth between the picture on the screen and his friend over the other side of the room and the litter picker and the bin bag. And I think it had something to do with the 420 pairs of eyes staring at him. (laughs) And the class teachers gathered around the outside of the room that made him say, yeah, go on then. (laughs) And he went and he joined his friend. The relationship is radically different. It would be easier, wouldn't it, if our discipleship, our spiritual growth, was based on a model that said, read the Bible once a day, pray twice a day, go to church once a week, give of your uh, finances, and you'll be okay, and you'll grow as, as a Christian. I don't know about you, but I like lists. And I, I like the chemical reaction that happens in my brain when I get to tick off an action um, or item on that list. And do you know, I have a confession to you, my brothers and sisters, because on a bad day, when I'm not doing the things I should be doing or I'm not being terribly productive, I will put something that I've just done moments before onto my list so that a few seconds later I can tick it off. <laughs> and get that very pleasant chemical reaction that releases endorphins and makes me think, wow, yeah, okay, I've done something, it's good. Um, And it feels really good. It feels like a mini victory. (laughs) However, there's something here about the parable of the wise and the foolish builders, which you'll find in Matthew chapter 7. Let's just look at this scripture uh, quickly. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand." The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Notice that the method of bricklaying, the plumbing, the joinery, the electricity, and all manner of things involved in building a house, and I'm so glad that John is no longer in my eyeline, Um, All manner of things involved in building a house are not mentioned at all. And if you're in the construction industry, or if, like me, you're an armchair expert because you've been watching Kevin MacLeod and Grand Designs for a number of years, you'll know that the ways of building a house are dramatically different and, and varied. Yet the parable focuses exclusively not on the techniques of building, but on the foundations that you're building upon. And this is the heart of this series, and this is the journey that I'm inviting us to share over this season of Lent. If we're prepared to be so connected to Jesus that his life, his character overflows naturally and organically into ours, then we will be building our discipleship on foundations that cannot be shaken.
Let's pray together. And as we pray together, accepting that the fullness of God already resides in us through his spirit, let's just wait on the spirit of God. And you might want to sit in silence and just let the spirit of God highlight things that are potentially disconnecting you from, from the vine, from Jesus. Just as much as the Spirit of God reveals, so the Spirit of God brings healing. So just allow yourselves for a few moments to allow the Spirit of God to bring a revelation of God's goodness, of his love, of his mercy into your lives. Jesus, we thank you that nothing that we do is unforgivable. Jesus, we thank you that nothing that we can do can separate us from your love. Jesus, we thank you that it is your desire that we bear much fruit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.